with regards to the set I prepared, Ed had a, an edit to it, which I sent, was trying to send back to him, and I sent a text the wrong document. So I'll correct that tomorrow. But it's pretty minor. I think okay. we can improve it, but it's yeah. yeah, just a little. A, a so we can, right we can approve a subject to these minor yeah. edits. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the, there's two, there's, I guess we need a separate motion. Um, for each one, uh, February 28th minutes and then the 320 minutes. So the 228 minutes, I just, just found a small incomplete sentence. I didn't remove that and we sent it. So we can have people. Okay. Okay. So I'll entertain a motion for the 228 minutes. Move to approve the 228 minutes as submitted with the amendment. Second. Okay. Let's take a roll call. Yes. 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 And Jill? Yes. Okay. And the March 30th minutes. March 20th. March 20th, excuse me. March 20th minutes. Second. Motion. Move to approve minutes. Okay. Amendment. Second. All right. We'll do a roll call. Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. Okay. Bob, you're you're on back for tonight. Minutes, you're up next. Oh. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we are gonna go through the article, the financial articles, uh, and uh, try to get as many uh, voted on as possible. So, does everybody have the recent um, uh, warrant that? Uh, Frank and Christine gave everybody. So I think what we'll do is we'll we'll just go in order because I think the financial articles are in the beginning anyway. Um, so um, actually, we'll, we'll we'll go article one, two, and three, and then articles four and five will hold a little bit until. Uh, so we get through the financial articles. Those are the police and collective, collective bargaining and the civil service. Um, and we'll cover those later in the agenda. So why don't we start with article one? And I, I assume we have to approve these individually or can we do them in groups? Uh, no, can you either one. Can we do them in groups? Okay, why don't we do them in groups then? So why don't we do Article One, which is annual town reports? I assume they're ready, or will be ready by twenty nineteen and twenty twenty are at the printer. Twenty one and twenty two are still under review, but will um, everything we have will be posted online before town meeting, so people can review the reports that okay. submitted. They just won't be printed. And Article Two what is. I missed, what was that again? Twenty nineteen and twenty twenty are at the printer. Okay. We're anticipating having them back in bound versions. 21 and 22 are still under review, but all of the reports that have been submitted to us will be available online. Under review by like who? There are the... two. There are two reports that still need to be finished. We have all the reports except for two. Yes. They're missing. They're not waiting for them to be reviewed. Yeah. Well, yes, because I haven't finished reviewing them. Yes. This is her night job over the next two weeks, sounds like. <laughs> um, okay, so Article 2 
Is any other questions on the town reports? Article two is the elected officer compensation. It's basically the, the, the select board, the clerk, the third member and the town's clerk, as well as assessors. Article three is the personnel administration plan. Any questions on that? If not, I would entertain a motion for articles one, two, and three. Move to approve articles one, two, and three as submitted. A second. Okay. All right. Let's take a vote. Brent? Yes. Yes. Uh, just to clarify on the article three, does that reference the HCBA? The table in there for the Yes. Yes. You're a yes? Okay. Yes. 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 Jill? Yes. Okay. Great. Okay. Article one, two, and three are recommended passage. Article four and five we're going to hold for now. Article six is the creation of the opioid stabilization fund. Article seven is the transfer into the opioid stabilization fund. And Article 8 is a transfer out of the opioid stabilization fund. So there's 92,139 going in and 68,000 coming out. So we probably take those three together. Are there any questions on the, we got a presentation from Frank on this um, at one of our earlier meetings uh, on this, these three articles. Uh, any any additional that questions? Stays in the body. Yeah. Scrolls over into the body. Right. Yeah. And as new settlement money comes in, it'll go into this fund. Right. Any questions on this? Okay. We'll do a motion on Article 6, 7, and 8. Move to approve Article 6, 7, and 8 as presented in the warrant. Okay. Second. 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 Okay. Brent? Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. Okay. Article six, seven, and eight. Warrant committee recommends passage. Um, article nine is the. Maybe we'll do articles. Uh, we'll do these. Uh, we'll, we'll do these as a group. Article nine is the authorization of the new vaccine revolving fund. Um, that's um, $5,000. There's an Article 10, which is the annual revolving fund expenditures, the limit authorization. And the my understanding what's new here is that the, the uh, Advanced Life Support Revolving Fund went up to 400000 Is that correct? Yeah. But the, all these others are stayed the same. What about the... Um, the opioid, is that going to be added to this or is that? That's going to be a stabilization fund, not a revolving fund. Okay, got it. Okay. Okay. Good. Any questions on Article 10? Nothing else changed on that, right? Other than that, that okay. The only thing that changes now we're including the vaccine revolving fund in that bylaw. Okay. Which is which is Article Nine? Yeah, yeah. we're creating it, and then we have to list it in the list of the Okay. Yeah. 
And then Article 11 is the Cemetery Perpetual Care Trust Funds. Any questions on that one? Article 12 is the Vine Lake Cemetery Expansion Study. This, I don't know if you saw, but the selectmen talked about this at their meeting. There was a presentation by Mo on this. And uh, that's that funding is coming out of the, the lot proceeds sales. The sale of cemetery. Sale of cemetery lot, yeah. And then Article uh, 13 is um, the local cable access uh, related funding. And Article 14 is uh, $15,000 for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund request funding. And they've added a, a pretty long summary there to educate people on what it's about. Newton, Newton contributed this. Wish he was doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he'd read all the summaries. <laughs> Any questions on Articles 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, or 14? No. Entertain a motion. We move to approve Articles 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 as submitted in the warrant. I have a second. 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 Okay. Go to a uh, yes. 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 And Jill? Yes. Articles 9 through 14, Warren Cream recommends passed. Article 15. So, Article 15 and 16 are the uh, transfers into the Municipal Building Stabilization Fund. And Article 16 is the appropriation out of it for the, the uh, building um, capital items. So these, the Article 15 is, is essentially that uh, Million dollars, uh, you know, escalated at two and a half percent each year. That, that goes in off the tax levy every year. Uh, selectmen approved that two and a half percent, and then sixteen is the list of individual items. We got a presentation. Remember, we went through this at uh, one of our meetings, and we, we, uh, Jaron took us through, um, and Frank uh, took us through all of the details on these. So. Any questions on 15 and 16? No, on 15? Yeah. Should we put the dollar in there? It doesn't need to be printed in, in the article, it'll be in the motion. Okay. Yeah. So the motion on the floor will have the, we'll have the, the, the million yeah, plus. Exactly. We're going through all the old municipal buildings and the legalization fund articles that have been extended but have leftover balances to order. We'll have all of those ready to go in here. Okay. I, I anticipate that will make it into the warrant. <laughs> okay, uh, any other questions on Articles 15 and 16? Entertain a motion. Move to approve 
Article 15 and 16 uh, as presented in the law. Second. Second. Okay. Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. Okay. The capital uh, stabilization fund is Article 17 and 18. Article 17 is a transfer of 850000 into the capital stabilization fund from free cash. And Article 18 is the detailed listing of all the capital items. Again, we, we, uh, we did have um, a presentation on this. Um, so, um, it shouldn't be a surprise. There were no changes to these articles since you talked to us, right? So. Move to approve articles 17 and 18 as submitted in the water. Okay, second. Second. Okay, Brent? Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. All right, the Warren Committee recommends passage of articles 17 and 18. Okay, Article 19. We haven't talked about this one, but this is um, the construction of the garage at the center of Medfield. Now, if you remember, we did get a um, we did get a uh, an email to the Warren Committee email address from uh, Abby Marble uh, asking us to to look at this question of. Uh, uh, is there a, is there an ability to park these vans that they want the garage for at the DPW garage? So, um, does everybody remember that? I think I sent it around. So I don't know, Christine, if you want to comment on that. Yeah, I think it'd be helpful. Like maybe some some history and some context of how we got here. Yeah. Um. So the council on aging began discussing uh, a new garage with the board selection back in 2012. Um, it was then tabled and came back in front of um, the select board. Sorry, I'm still struggling with that muscle memory. In 2018, Council and Aging came back to the select board. Um, the select board advised them to meet with the permanent planning and building committee to discuss the feasibility of putting a garage on the site. Um, at that point, Council on Aging hired a site engineer and an architect to provide some initial renderings. Um, and I have copies of those if anybody wants to see them. Some initial renderings of what the garage would look like. They had some cost estimates prepared that were anywhere between $175,000 and $300,000 for the construction of this three bay, two story garage. Um, while that was going on, in the meantime, we did um, mow, cleaned out an area down at the Medfield um, at the transfer station, and the buses were parked under cover there. Um, it was determined that that was not convenient, and the council on aging took them back up to the council on aging site. Um, we then put the garage back on the capital plan and discussed how that would, uh, would be able to afford putting the garage up there once it was determined it was feasible. Um, there was some discussion of some private fundraising, some discussion of whether or not the Friends of Medfield Seniors would be able to fund that. Um, then in 2021, the select board put out an RFP for the Hinkley South property, which is just, if you're standing in front of the Council on Aging, just to the left of the Council on Aging. 
Um, and the bid for that land, um, the price that came in was $450,000 and that was for 20 units. We had some initial concerns from the neighborhood that the development um, that the town was proposing with the private developer, that it was too close to the neighborhood that was out there, the Copperwood neighborhood. So we started looking at the potential for us to shift that development closer to the council on aging. Um, and this is an age restriction. Um, once we did that, we realized we would need to work with the Council on Aging Board, who, if you recall, back in 2016 was given care, custody, and control of both the property and the building. So I started working with the Council on Aging to see if they would be able to give the town back an acre of land that was there in order to shift the development. Um, in doing that, there were some discussions and some negotiations that if we gave the developer the additional acre from the Council on Aging, they would have four additional units. We would be able to move that development farther from the neighborhood, and we would receive an additional $300,000 for the property for a total of $750,000. Mm -hmm. So the select board had an agreement with the Council on Aging that additional $300,000 that we were able to collect based on the land that they were giving to development could be used to build the town garage, the Council on Aging garage. Sorry. Um, and it was it was up to three hundred up to three hundred thousand dollars. That was the estimate. Um, we had an agreement with the council on aging board. And I don't know if Bob Peeled is is on tonight. He can speak to it as well. Up to three hundred thousand dollars. There was some concern by the council on aging that the cost between the design, the permitting, and the construction would be over three hundred thousand. If that was the case, then it would be the Medfield friends of seniors that would possibly that would cover any overage of the three hundred thousand. But that was the the highest amount the town and the select board had committed to them to do that project. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, I don't want to speak, I have members of the select board here, um, yeah. but we're in full support of, of moving forward on this article based on uh, the council on aging helpfulness and getting us to be able to make that project move forward. Like Brad to be select, looking at the council that's the left and, and no problem with the neighborhood behind it. Haven't heard any. We haven't gone through permitting or construction yet, um, but it will be the Hinkley South neighborhood. Mr. Borelli, who is the developer, is fully aware that the garage is going to be there, um, and he was actually having conversations with Berta about where it could be cited that would be helpful for both his new development and for construction. If we exceed the three hundred thousand, is the money there to supplement it? I believe I believe the friends of Medfield seniors would have to come up with anything over three hundred thousand dollars, but they do have a significant amount of money uh, available. Is this the highest priority of the council? What other needs do they? I, I think Bob Field would like to speak. Do you want to? Do you want to promote him? Okay. Hello, Bob. If you can uh, hear us, unmute your your mic so we can hear you. Got it. Can Hi, you hear me? We can, yeah, we can hear you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess the, the question was asked if the, the cost of the garage exceeded 300000 Are there additional funds available? That was one um, question. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, the answer to that question is the Friends of Medfield Seniors, and I'm speaking as the president of that organization, um, has funds available if if in fact the total cost is over three um obviously there is a uh, 
a cap on that, but we don't have you know firm prices just just yet. But the basic answer is yes, there are additional funds available. Um, and there was another question Jeremy had. You want to ask your question? Yeah, I just was interested in to learn a little bit more about the, the priorities and, and needs of the town fund aging and how this proposed garage fits in with that. Um, our our uh, immediate needs are to um, take care of these buses. Um, we are currently have a couple of uh, grants that we've applied for to replace two of them. So we want to be able to um, adequately protect those. Um, at some point in time, we, we do feel that the building needs to be, uh, the size of the building needs to be increased. Um, but at this point in time, yes, this is our priority. We'd like to to, to get, take care of these buses. It's also going to provide additional uh, storage space, which we are sadly lacking at this point in time. Um, and it also, you know, will, will give us a place if, if in fact we're having a cookout or something and it rains, we can kind of move it in there type of thing. Um, so if that answers your question, Helps. Thank you. So there is, um, Bob, the store, there is storage at the Council on Aging on the second floor. Um, I'm not sure who designed the ladder to get to that second floor. It is not accessible to, it's very difficult to get up there, never mind to bring something down. Um, the proposed uh, garage design has a very um, easy walk up staircase to get up to the second floor so that the seniors um, and those working at the council on aging have much uh, more accessible access to storage. And where do you store the voting equipment currently? Currently we store it on multitude of places, but a significant amount of it is at the council on aging. So this would be beneficial. It'd be a good place for to, us as yeah. well, yes. Um, and we do have a number of items that we store that we don't necessarily have need to have access to at the town hall that we could probably store in the council aging's not so great accessible storage. And maybe, you know, we have a lease for a local business in town uh, that we rent space from for our storage. So I think we could probably try and um, get rid of that lease and utilize what we have at the council aging. So this is using uh, 300 of the 750 from the proceeds of the land sale. Uh, and the rest of it's gonna go in this account reserved for, you know, uh, sale of land reserved for appropriation, restricted to only being appropriated for assets greater than five-year life. So this does fit that, that you know, that requirement. Um, Is there any particular urgency in, in using these funds for this purpose now? Well, I think that we've been talking about it since 2018. Um, I think that the select board made a commitment to the Council on Aging when they were willing to exchange that land in order for us to put the 24 units uh, of housing there. So it was, we anticipated being able to move this forward last year, but the Hinkley South project was delayed. So we had to wait until all the funding was completed before we received the, the total funding for the project. 
Yeah, I, I know from uh, my initial year on the on the Warren Committee, and I did address this Council on Aging, and, and one of the issues that was raised five years ago was the need for the garage. So I think that that's been on there. Yeah, I've, been, I've heard the request for the garage. I'm just mm -hmm. not sure I've heard the need um, presented, presented such that it was a top priority, in my opinion. Yeah, it sounds like it kind of got tied in with the the priority of affordable housing, you know, and that that development there, and it solved solved that priority, I guess. And there was a well. there was a negotiation made. But this, this yeah. Orange committee was not privy to that. Right, right, so, right, right. No, I agree. I understand. I understand. We, you know, we. Um, we were planning, excuse me, we were planning the garage before the, you know, the, the sale of the property even came up. So th this, you know, we didn't decide to do the garage because we could get some money for the land. We were already trying to do the garage. And the um, friends were raising money for projects at, at the center. Yeah, I mean... Uh... We don't. We don't need to vote on this tonight. We could always defer it till till next week. I mean, till our next meeting. But Gus, do you want to add anything to the I discussion? To the point that Jeremy brought up, I I can attest that Roberta has been talking about this for more than five years with me. I when I was on the ward committee, Deborah Kelsey, the librarian, told me the story about how she was up on the roof checking the HVAC systems. And it struck me that it wasn't really appropriate for the librarian to have to maintain the library's HVAC system on the roof. And then at some point in time, one of the recommendations of the Warren Committee at the time was get a facilities manager. We did, and now librarians don't have to do that. At the COA, Roberta was telling me about how she or the drivers of the bus in the wintertime have to basically climb up to get you know, with a broom or something to get the snow off the roof of the bus. Mm. So there's a piece of this that is, do, you, do we really want the COA director to be responsible for making sure buses can be used in the middle of the winter time because they're outside and the snow's burning? Uh, that was that was sort of the, the equivalent to me. I do think it's, I think it's fair to say that Selectman did represent to the COA that if you will give us this land, which you don't have to give us, so that we can at least try to partially accommodate the neighbors in the Copperwood neighborhood who were upset about the proximity of the development that we would, it was, they kind of agreed to the land and the understanding that they could get that. I understand that doesn't bind you, but in terms of what was this conversation and what were the expectations, I can assure you, I would, I would feel really bad if we basically snookered the COA out of an acre of land to accommodate one thing and then basically said, oh, sorry, it was, you know, I would never enter into that kind of negotiation with the other establishment. Hey, Bob, yeah, no, that's that's helpful. Bob, how much uh, how much money is in your revolving funds? You know? In the COA's revolving fund or? The Respite Care Revolving Fund can only be spent for the Respite. Okay. Where's this money he's talking about? They would cover any. Oh, it's a private. Okay. Friends and seniors. Okay. It's just me, man. Just so if they came in at 400,000 instead of 300, is it enough to tell me that? 
And what, what would happen if, you know, it came in at 375, but this extra money is only worth 50? What happens to the other two days for the other 25? The project wouldn't move forward. Yeah, move forward. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Okay. We would not go. We would not go forward with the whole thing if, if in fact, we didn't have the money that we needed okay. you know, to, to do the project. We don't know exactly how much it's going to cost you. Well, why don't we, why don't we just uh, maybe put a pin in this one and we can come back to it um, you know, on the 25th. Uh, sounds like maybe people want to think about this some more and maybe... Uh, and maybe do a little more due diligence on it. I mean, unless yeah, unless people are ready to vote now. I mean, we have plans about some preliminary plans. Anybody wants? To. Yeah. Do Do you feel comfortable voting now, or? I, if If we vote tonight, I'll probably vote now. Okay. How about other people? Will you Will it change the time? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> what would be the question? I don't have a whole lot of information to go on other than the history that I'm aware of and the article before us. Yeah. I yeah. I've uh, been involved with this recently. So that's what I'm going on. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, I'd like to be convinced that this is a priority to spend nearly $500,000 on. Um, that there's not some other priority that's more pressing that serves the needs of the seniors. All right, fair enough. Why don't we why don't we wait then? We'll, we'll wait on this until you know our next meeting. Yeah, I think it's a legitimate question to you know explore. So, all right, um, the uh, Article Twenty, um, the Elementary School Feasibility Study funding. This one um, is, I think we all, we've talked about this a little bit. I think this is the, the follow-up uh, to last year's article of 250, which hasn't been spent yet. This will be another 250, bringing it to 500,000. Um, the school building committee at their last meeting talked about this and the need to have a response at town meeting when people ask, what are you gonna spend this money on? Um, so they're thinking about that, and they'll uh, they'll come up with it. Mathers, Mathers, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, the the chair and the co-chair. Uh, I'm sure they're thinking about that. Yeah, but you know, I think it's always been understood that this the full feasibility study is, you know, at least seven fifty, probably a million dollars. So we're not even close to that, you know, and I, I think one of the things I've heard they want to spend money on initially is a survey uh, of, you know, sort of residents uh, to try to understand uh, a little bit more about what's important, what happens, you know, I'm not sure how balanced it's going to be on different issues, but um, they do want to, you know, do that survey. It's not going to it's not certainly, I can't imagine it being a lot of money to do. Well, it would be, there would be a third party consultant. Yeah. And the scope of work for that consultant is not yet. Yeah. So it would be community outreach to kind of initially see what the pulse of the town was. Yeah. Um, maybe get some specific data to why the article, I mean, the, the last did not pass that town meeting. Yeah. Kind of get some more concrete data on why. Yeah, and what the school building committee needs to address 
with the town residents to have a successful project. So okay. that's the initial kind of thought on the spend. Okay. But there's been no, you know, there's been no reaching out to any consultants. There's yeah. been no kind of even determination of the scope of work. Um, okay. There was a committee, a subcommittee form, a communication, communications committee form. Um, so I'm sure that they'll have some feedback in our next meeting on what okay. they'd like to spend it on. You know, Aren't there um, certain costs that we won't have to incur again that were incurred in the first yes. feasibility? So, yes, I think we spent maybe, I think, million dollars was it on the first feasibility? So, theoretically, it should come in under that. Theoretically, there are some things that we can do that we might find out. Yeah, yeah. you know, some yeah. stuff is a little bit outdated, but there's some, there's some, you know, physical, there's some stuff around the school that I do think we have to. Yeah, someone might ask, well, okay, it's 500 yeah. how much Absolutely. you spend? Nothing. Yeah, I, I think yeah. they they're, they are. Yeah, they, they, they're ready to yeah, okay. be prepared for that question, I yeah. think. So um, so just before we go, so on Article 19, I guess we'll be to be heard. Okay, Article 20. Are there any other questions on Article 20? So there's another 250,000 currently available? Yes, from last year. From last year. This article is identical to the one that passed last year. It's just, it's actually, it's identical in amount too, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's no other questions. I guess I entertain a motion. Uh, motion to approve Article 20 on the elementary school feasibility study pending as presented in the warrant. Second. Okay. Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. Okay, great. Article 21 in the prior year bills. Um, this one is uh, $6,221.50 <laughs> uh, in our prior year bills. We have one of these every year, I guess. I think last year it was two years worth, right? I think Probably it's a $75 million expenditure. I think it's $6,000. I appreciate that, Ed, but it makes me furious. <laughs> Motion to approve Article 21 prior year bills. Okay, a second. Submitted. Second. Second. Okay. Yes. 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 Okay. Bill? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. Thank you. Article 22, we've already approved. Article 23. Okay. This uh, is one, I'm going to let Jeremy uh, cover this one. This is the Water and Sewer Enterprise Fund Budget. Um, Frank, I think, passed out a, uh, yes, passed out. Um, the those details? Same, yeah, those same amounts are also reflected in there. And Jeremy, answer your question. Um, yeah, so the, the detail you provided tonight, I like to help fill in some of the information on how the indirects are calculated. Um, you know, they're still even behind some of the numbers you've seen here tonight. There's more information that goes behind it, like the specific positions and percentages of salary to fill in. But, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. No, I, I just it's important because this ends up being revenue to the general fund side and it's the cost thrown by the water and so ratepayers. So 
you know, having a good accounting for that cost and, and why it's a fairly good size revenue that comes into the yeah the past, you know, upwards of two million plus dollars right uh, for the general fund so those are the indirect costs right because i understand it that's right the two and the, the water indirect and the sewer indirect yeah, yeah. okay add them together it's yeah that's a lot over two million dollars in, yeah. in revenue comes into the general fund that's offsets general fund expenditures yeah yeah so for example uh an employee who works in the water department 100 of their salary is covered by the enterprise fund there's a small portion of my salary that's covered by the enterprise fund yeah, and the point is we've been consistent on how those allocations have been done every year. Yeah. This is this is consistent. This, you know, yeah, how you can yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we talked in a prior meeting, we talked about the, the the general operations of the water and sewer division yeah. um, but at that time the water and sewer um the board of water and sewer hadn't voted on the budget that was right yeah. um so i guess that's that's my question as to well we have a member in the back can you confirm that i might have known that question <laughs> again that affects how they set water and sewer rates so yeah it's very important that they have a voice in it they approve. I approve. Okay, so I'll entertain a motion then to uh, recommend Article Twenty Three. Yeah. So moved. Second. Second. Okay. Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. Okay. Great. Article Twenty Four is uh, some just some housekeeping to uh, rescind a. The unused portion of the of the water treatment plant borrowing the bond, uh, they only ended up borrowing eleven point five million, and uh, the authorization was for twelve million. So there's five hundred thousand of uh, bond authorization that they want to uh, clean up, so that uh, if a rate agencies ever come in, they they know we have you know the right amount of you know, bond authorization outstanding. So that's what this is. Any questions on Article 24? Did you want to know the rate we borrowed that? <laughs> 1.456. What was the rate again? 1.456, I think. Yes. I think you should get that frame. The, the, that particular bond, you should put in a frame and put it in your office because you probably won't ever see that again. That was one of my life. Um, okay. Any Any questions on this? Move to approve Article 24, SIN bond authorization for water treatment plant as presented in the bond. Second. Okay. Brent? Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes. Okay, great. Okay. So I think we're through all the financial articles, right? I think. Okay, that's good. So, um, why don't we go to, I apologize, we're running late here, but uh, why don't we go to the um, collective bargaining uh, and the civil service discussion. And then um, those are articles uh, five and four, four and five, excuse me, four and five. And um, 
I will turn it over to uh, Christine and Gus, I think. And I think our chief is here too, right? Hello. Come on up front here. Come on down. <laughs> the water's fine. And Sergeant, is that? Yes. Great. You could come on up too. Sergeant Daniels here. Good evening. Hi, good evening. <clears throat> so we just have uh, a couple of slides here um, after the three of us can talk for hours about civil service and the 18 months of that negotiated contract. So we thought we had a few slides with um, just some highlights so that we made sure we didn't miss anything. So we have a lot more to say than, than is up here. So if it starts to get too much, just let us know. Um, it's also one of the things we found. Um, one of the things we found is that um, we're, we talk about civil service a lot and we know what civil service is, but in talking to even our some of our employees on the town side, weren't exactly clear what civil service was. So I think just a little brief overview of, of what it is would be helpful. Sure. So uh, while we're getting kind of the technical things worked out, I suppose I bring an interesting perspective, civil service, as the town's engagement in this system doesn't actually affect me personally. Um, I do think that there are some operational issues that obviously are greatly affected in terms of hiring and promotions and how our organization can successfully navigate those, particularly in a time where recruitment and retention are absolutely being decimated on the national level. And the reason I say to you that this doesn't affect me personally is that this truly is a decision that the town and the union have to come to kind of collectively for all parties to really be successful and move forward. So I, I'm happy to answer the operational question side, and I think that's a very important component, but I would be remiss if I didn't allow the union kind of the first bite of the apple to really talk about why they're willing to um, seek revocation of civil service. I think that's a, probably a more important voice in this conversation. Anyway. So as far, from the union standpoint, um, I think we need to um, first address that through the MOU and through the negotiations that we get in good faith in the town that we are more or less obligated to support this, and the union does support this. Um, we had a year and a half of negotiations over it, and we negotiated in previous contracts towards it, um, but did not come to a resolution. So this was, you know, quite a task for us to come here and get, get to this point. Um, the union body has voted on it, ratified it, and read it, and understand it. Not only the MOU, but the language involved in the meeting or the meeting of civil service. So, from our standpoint, that's where we stand. Um, we also understand from the town that there is difficulty retaining uh, employees. And also, as we move forward in this new world order with policing, uh, it's becoming more difficult to hire people. Uh, qualified people. So uh, in good faith and uh, in order to kind of help the town with that, we 
we talked about it from grocery through so many people were hoping that it will um, help with that um, will help us all move forward in a direction where we can maintain the bodies and people that we need to operate successfully so i think um Let's just talk a little bit about what civil service is. Mm -hmm. um, so it was established by the Commonwealth in 1884. Uh, the reason why it was established, there were concerns about patronage, political interference in government, hiring and promotions. Uh, the town of Medfield accepted with a ballot question at the March 1st, 1948 annual town election. Uh, and it was a fairly split vote. I think it was 328 to 216. Um, mm -hmm. Let us go into civil service. Um, and for anybody who wants to do any additional uh, work, there's an entire MGL chapter 31, which covers extensively every aspect of civil service. Um, and then why don't you talk about this part? Of it? Yeah, so I think it's important for us to talk about why civil service worked and maybe why we broke past it okay, in order to understand kind of the evolution that's taken place. So if you look back at policing in the late 40s, 50s, 60s, probably into the early 2000s, these were highly sought after careers. Um, typically, they were able to recruit people who didn't have to have an education necessarily to get a police department. The pay was reasonable at the time, but the benefits, especially as they became more unionized, uh, became the draw um, for this field. Uh, heavily weighted towards communities. So people within a community wanted to ensure that these types of jobs would stay within their community, particularly the members that wanted to serve in the municipality they lived in. Uh, to avoid some of the patronage and pay for play, um, they developed this system where the state basically ran the testing process and they gave you a list of candidates. Those lists of candidates uh, initially had residential preference. So if you lived in the town and you had lived here for at minimum a year prior to taking the test, you were given the residency uh, preference and then for veterans. And those are both reasonable things to expect as an employer. Uh, at the time, veterans coming back came with a, obviously a dedication to service to their country and their community. Uh, policing was set up in a paramilitary fashion. So their intimate knowledge of military operations with man structure were well suited for the field. Um, and, you know, they, they brought something back that they deserve to be rewarded with. These municipal jobs help do that. <clears throat> None of those things have changed. And it's this philosophy is still spot on. Residents bring a, a valuable asset to your police force. It's their inherent knowledge of the community, the cultures, people, relationships, uh, as do our military personnel. But those are two factors when we look at the overall quality of candidate. So the reason that civil service has started to kind of outlive its, its usefulness, and I'm going to go right into how they do the test. Uh, they were doing the tests every two years. They realized that that was no longer really working, so they're giving the test every year now. For example, they just gave a test in March. The people who took that test will not have their results, and they will not certify that list probably until the end of summer or next fall. So we are sitting and waiting on a potential candidate or recruit for six months, if not seven months. And in the interim, that recruit is applying at many other police departments that are not civil service. So by time we actually get the list of recruits, 
they've had six months of being shopped and pursued by other agencies. So it's already outdated and we're losing the cream of the crop just through other employment opportunities. The second part of it is that when we look at residency, if you go back to the late 40s and 50s, this was a very different town. This whole geographical area was very different. It was farmland, it was small communities. It wasn't the suburbs and affluent area that you know, Westwood, Norfolk, Bedfield, Halston have become. So that workforce changed greatly as well. Um, we have younger people, which are typically comes into policing, the 20-something-year-olds, they're not living in the suburbs unless they're still living with mom and dad. They can't afford the sex of neighborhoods. Their lifestyles aren't necessarily here. So essentially, just the kind of organic measures are hiring will shrunk considerably. Let's not even factor 2020 and the bad acts of policing that absolutely destroyed the reputation of our profession. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of the candidates we're getting. I think the, the town recognizes the value of having local people come here um, and having our veterans continue to serve in an organization. We just don't have that candidate who is available to us for the current system, and we're getting beat out by non civil service agencies. Yeah. Okay, that's helpful. So when we talked about competing with towns that are not civil services, you want to take the list up. I just want to let it's you know. We have the list. Okay. Yeah. I do want to let you know what our neighbors are doing, right? So when we want somebody to come and work for us, we want them to work in Medfield. Hmm. The Post Commission, and I guess I should backtrack by telling you that the Post Commission, which was established by police reform, is basically dictating all of our hiring standards and certifications for police officers. And the Municipal Police Training Council is determining all standardized testing. So civil service has kind of lost their voice, and, and I'll be perfectly honest, if the town doesn't come out of it, I don't think civil service exists in the next three years in the next, con next contract negotiation anyway. Um, just as it goes through organic death being replaced by other statutes. But when we look at people wanting to come here, we ask the questions that Post asks us, but then we ask our own questions and they're Medfield specific. Why do you want to work in Medfield? What about community policing appeals to you? What about small town communities and appeals to you? The, the area right now is inundated with non-civil service agencies. So when we have a candidate that's really looking at the local, the mm -hmm. locality, of our police department, mm -hmm. we're competing against Walpole's, which we've already lost some. Sir Needham's, which we've lost two. Millis, we've lost one. Franklin, we've lost one. My Franklin officer, God love him, a good officer, a good person. Uh, when I sat him down, he told me point blank, Franklin's department I wanted to go with. And now that I'm a fully trained officer, don't take me. Um, so if we look right by us, Walpole, Westwood, Dover, Sherbert, Holliston, Huntington, Millions. This is the this is the list of towns that are currently out. So this is Bellingham is still waiting for their Wow. <laughs> so it's becoming harder and harder for us to to compete with these departments and in terms of hiring um, and recruitment. That's an amazing list. Yeah. 
And that's just, I just wanted to give you a snapshot of kind of our general piece of the pie and what we're competing against. Um, I think that the towns that border Boston or on the Southern edge are holding on to civil service because Boston is. Yeah. This is the first time in 15 years that Boston has had to seek lateral transfers from other agencies because they can no longer get enough candidates for civil service to perform the work that we That's amazing. So I think it's important for us to all understand as well that as civil service goes away and disappears in all these communities, that policing has now become a new as a private practice where, where we're almost like private business, where officers have the ability to shop their skills. Um, so as a community, we have to be aware of that and also find ways when we work on this, when we negotiate our contracts to work towards retention. Yeah. Because we don't want our officers shopping so much uh, other communities. We want them to be here, come here, train here, we invest in them, stay yeah. here, we invest in them, taxpayers invest in them. Right. It's a happy cost. So I think we're all trying to work together to make that happen. So the other most important aspect on civil service is that they guide, give us the guidelines and dictate our promotional process as well. Uh, they provide the tests, and it will say that if all the test costs are incurred by the applicant taking it, so it will certainly cost beneficial to towns to state civil service and do it for cost. Mm -hmm. um, however, what has happened most recently was the decision came down. Uh, somebody challenged the promotional testing that civil service ran uh, this last go around, and they won the case. The Tatum decision that basically said that the test as administered. I had a disparate impact on minority populations and therefore been deemed invalid. So everyone who studied for that test and departments who were hoping to make supervisors, much like ours, are unable to select anybody off that test. I was just at a meeting uh, with Massachusetts uh, Chiefs of Police last week. Civil Service uh, is unable to kind of find the right pathway to get a validated testing process. We don't anticipate them even having a test available to take for a minimum of a year. So an organization like ours, which is small and relies heavily on its first-line leadership, has no leadership ability right now to process this currently given. And more importantly, those are opportunities to our candidates. So when Sergeant Burgess talks about retention, part of retention is having career growth and advancement and opportunities. Yeah. We can't even give those opportunities to employees civil service just as unable to kind of figure out what their next step is. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I think it's hard to talk about uh, withdrawal of civil of us on withdrawal of the civil service system without also talking about the collective bargaining agreement because it's not such time on it. So one of the things we worked really hard on was bringing our salaries up. Uh, to where we thought we'd be competitive with these other towns because once we realize we are going to have wage pressure when we come out of civil service uh, with these towns. And we are, feel very strongly, this I do, that we have a very competitive contract. Um, and that, you know, I think everybody, uh, it was long, it was hard, but we are all very proud uh, of the contract when we got to this point. So our next steps in this process um, are to an approval of the collective bargaining agreement at town meeting. Um, we will then move forward um, with a ballot question uh, at next year's town election for the withdrawal uh, from civil service. 
um, but they are separate items. Um, the monetary compensation within the contract is given uh, regardless of whether or not we receive approval from the approval of the civil services. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're, they're not linked together. Yeah. So, okay. And that vote happens next March? Next March. That's how that annual um, Okay. But they were negotiated in good faith together. Yes. And it, yeah. it, okay. it will not help us to be competitive if we stay in civil service. Right. So while our officers will be well compensated, we will still struggle with recruiting, hiring, uh, promotional, providing any sort of opportunities for uh, our existing officers to advance. And then our officers, once trained, will be able to, as Danny said, Sergeant Burgess said, will be able to help themselves and their skills after we've trained them in yeah. other towns. Yeah. So okay. it, it is beneficial that they are. But to remind yeah. people to vote next March. I always <laughs> But those elements of the, uh, the hiring, retention, training, uh, and, and promotion are all addressed in the collective bargain agreement. Yeah. Yeah, we can try to look at civil service and look at the key points and what it does. And we try to incorporate that in, in our agreement. Yeah. And, and for clarification, officers who are under the existing civil service system will retain those rights under civil service. Or will... so that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. For life for this year or... as long as they're employed, right? Yeah. Until they move through the promotional system within us. So we have okay. if we have a patrol officer now who moves to do a promotion within our system, they will remove themselves from the civil service system and go under our local okay. replacement option. So at their current rate. Yeah. So okay. as long as they say their current rate, but we're capable for this. So there there's no harm done to anybody that's in civil service currently. Correct. So is, is it fair to say that the collective bargaining agreement, and I know that they're separate, and, and the revocation of civil service, it's primarily the ability to expand the, the pool that's available, whilst the benefits that come to the members of the union are retained. Okay. I think mostly what, what concerns union members with leaving civil service is having the system be fair and equitable. So, you know, civil service sets up a process if, for hiring, firing, promoting, all of those things. And it's a process that if, when you apply to take the test, it's a standardized test. It's set up in a way that's fair and equitable for you. When you take a promotion exam, it's fair and equitable hiring process. And I think the things that we negotiated over set up that process so that it's still in place. Or the union contract. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that that's a great argument, except the Tatum decision just actually said that it wasn't fair and equitable. And that's going to be the issue is if that portion of civil service has been challenged successfully, is the next challenge going to be the actual hiring and testing process that they use there? Because they're both based on the same format of multiple choice. 
Um, I think there are a lot of unknowns. And I think the union and the town work diligently to make sure that that the language that they are utilizing mirror the spirit of yeah. uh, what civil service is. So even if that becomes a defunct organization, the values of our hiring and promotion uh, are the same. Yeah, okay. And you're comfortable with what? Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, and there's going to be things that need to take place. So if anything, it's going to be a learning curve. Yeah. Um, once we get out of the gate with it, our first time in process would be a learning curve. Our next promotion is going to be a learning curve. But we have language in place that kind of lays it out. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the word values, which I think is important. And I think working as a community, I know from observing select board meetings uh, that hiring promotions always come before, have always come before the select board. Is that correct? Yes. So the final, the final de decision, right, on the hiring promotions on your recommendation. Is provided by the by the executives of the town, right. which There's I think is important. I think that's important to to, to see that symmetry between the select board and the. Any other questions? I have a non-civil service question. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, so in regards to the contract, does the the, the bargaining agreement include dispatchers? Um, as there's certainly a regional movement afoot to regionalize dispatch. Um, is there, is that thought of in this, this contract? Not in or? this contract. Um, we participated in studies for regionalization of that, but it's not included in this contract, obviously, with the amended for subject to bargaining. So uh, if we, if the town desires to move to a regional dispatch, we would take that up um, at subsequent bargaining sessions. But yes, everybody around us is also. Well, having had articles in the last couple of years doing things in retrospect and trying to catch up on what have you, I do appreciate the work that the union, the department, and the administration has done to come together. I know it's been a it's, it's good work and hard work. I appreciate what you have worked together to do. There's a lot of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> as you say, it is, and there'll be more. But the, but the fact that you've been able to bring forward contract with some longevity that because each year we've been that I've been on the committee, I think has been kind of retroactive after the contract. So so thanks for your and it's a serious topic that implied diligence. Clearly, yeah, yeah, clearly, it's very serious and it's very important. And this is three years, right? 23, 24, 25. Yes, so there is the first year of the contract will be retroactive. Yeah, okay. Um, and then okay. two years. Is that next to go again? Matters, matters, good question. How does leaving civil service impact the actual person who grows up in the field and wants to be a mentor for those events? Does it make it easier for them or harder for them, or is it is it, is it not at all? Well, I think the process is that it allows the town. There's any police chief, custodian, village, if they tell you there's no value in having a resident who applies, right? I mean, they bring a skill set that you can't train. There's something they throw them out here. The relationships with their teachers, schools, businesses, frankly, one another. Um, 
that's not measurable. Um, so I think that there's a preference that's given. What this allows us to do is civil service was giving a single measure for us to look at, and that was overall fiscal. And then the second measure is preference, resident preference, and veteran preference. I think we still include those things, but we get an opportunity to evaluate a candidate on the whole and see if that all works. So it's a component, it's just not the only. And I'll say some of the pitfalls that we have seen. So I'll tell you the last process, we only had four people in town sign up to test, only one passed, um, and ultimately made a decision to go to college, which I thought was pretty smart. Um, so it's hard for me to tell them that wasn't a great choice, but that was our only in-town mm -hmm. selection. Civil service has some, some pitfalls too when we talk about protections and the processes. So we had a candidate that came in, um, was unable to form, uh, pass a portion of the fiscal examination under civil service rules. We have to give him six months to um, try and improve and then pass that. However, in that six months time, I'm prohibited from bypassing him and going to another campaign. So I essentially have to hold the spot for the entire six months that civil service deems appropriate. And then the particular candidate actually failed the second time. At this point in time, the municipal training council told us that, that they were ineligible to attend the police academy. Civil service told us we had to fire him. And their advice was fire him and fire him at the same bar slap in the Clearly, I don't know why we would do that to any candidate and publicly humiliate them in such a way. Um, and he had a fault because he withdrew his application. But that was six months of time that I couldn't even process a second candidate while he made it. So it's a little backwards sometimes. So this this um this MOU, this is public document that's yes, it's on the it's on the website. Okay. Okay. Well, I think one of the your comment there is uh, when people are looking for local management, uh, this is an opportunity to do that without negative on um, characteristics. But it's a local item. Yeah. Does anybody have any other questions? Jill, <laughs> Jill, you have any questions? I do not. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Great. No, this is great. Well, if there's no other questions, I mean, I guess I'd entertain a motion to uh, for Article Four and Five. Um, move to uh, approve, um, recommend passage of Article Four, collective bargaining agreement, delete, and Article Five, revocation of civil service as presented in the warrant. We have a second. second. Okay. Great. Yes. 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 And Jill? Yes. Great. Thank, Thank you, you very much for all your hard work and getting to this point. You it was say really, you. really well appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, I think is, um, I think we want, what we want to do is uh, just, uh, Megan is on, okay. Why don't we, uh, why don't we look, look at quickly to article, uh, 
20, it is 20, the solar article, 25, 25. So we got a presentation from the Metro Energy Committee on this one last, last week. And there were some open questions that I sent around. Yeah, they went back, they went back to Solar Select. And um, Megan is on, she's on, uh, she's available to make any, you know, to help with any questions, further questions we have. But I sent the answers to everybody. They were, um, I know you had one, um, and I think Ed, you had a, a couple. Um, so, um, me, you know, did anybody have any questions on those those responses that they, you know, they sent? Answer the questions. I apologize. I see got messages told me that email or something. I don't recall seeing the responses. Oh, it was it was a yeah. Here, here's a, here's one here. They're not that long, so you could probably look at it now. But, um, they, you know, the questions were mostly around. Um, I would say kind of contractual type issues, you know, eventually that will, will, they will get, yeah, they'll get negotiated. You know, they're, they're in a, a stage now where they're, they're going to work through, you know, the details of the, you know, if it gets, a, if they get the authorization, there'll, there'll be more, more details to work through and they'll go through negotiations, but they were, um, I know there was a question around uh, insurance, right? And because there can be who, who who has liability for any damage that might get caused to cars and stuff like that. Um, they were good questions. So, um, Megan, did you want to add anything? Um, first of all, thank you for switching your gender around. That was nice, kind of you. And but no, I'm all I'm all set. Well, I will say we did have two webinars about solar, um, and. We had eight, 18 people there last night and about a dozen people at tonight's meeting. Okay. So um, we're happy to continue our outreach. Okay. Well, if there's no questions on those questions, maybe we can, if everybody feels comfortable, we could vote on this article. We take a motion to motion to approve for passage article 25 school committee power purchase agreement and lease authorization with solar photo <laughs> did on purpose uh, as presented in the walk second okay Brent. yes 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 rather yes yes and jill yes Okay, great. Article 26, we already voted on. I will note that there is some. Please note we have cleaned up the language to make it much easier to understand. Um, yes. Yeah, it has it has changed slightly, but it's, um, it's. I think the intent is still the same. The intent yeah. is 100% the same. It's just easier to understand. Okay. No. There's confusion about whether or not we prohibited them on Mondays now. So yes, yes. And I think that you know the clarification is for commercial use. Yes. Not not me using my uh blower. Right. Do you have to add like holidays, like a Monday holiday, Labor Day, 
Uh, let me see what we can do. So, wait, a six to three vote? Yes, that was a six to three vote, right? We'll have to, next meeting, we'll have to talk about the majority minority opinions for that. Um, okay, so, uh, article, so just, uh, so we have two agenda items left. One was the groundwater protection article, but uh, Jeff Hyman has requested that we postpone that discussion until the 25th. He's still working through uh, some things with um, with council, um, and uh, and so that so we will see him on the 25th. Talk about that one, and then um, the other two citizen petition articles will will vote on on the 25th. Um, so we'll get all the citizen petition articles voted on the 25th. We won't, we won't cover any, any of those. So the one article left is Article 27, which is the, so, we'll, so we're going to be heard on all the citizen petitions and then Article 31, I think it is, the free cash one. Well, did that... I anticipated dismissal, but... Yeah, we'll just be, and the warrant will be to be heard. Yeah, just in case, and then it'll probably get dismissed, obviously. So the, the so 28, 29, 30, we'll, we'll vote on next week, or in two weeks. And then uh, we do have a, the last agenda item, I think, is, do we cover all the other agenda items? I think is the, the private well restrictions. And... Then we have Eileen is here and, um, and Bill. I'm sorry, Christian, excuse me, <laughs> Christian. Um, so um, I don't know, do you want to, do you want to kind of uh, give an overview of, you know, why this is important, why you, you know, you brought this article forth and what we should consider, I guess. So it, it falls 100% on just seeing what we experienced at the town last year, moving into tier three, tier four, and how precious the water resources are. And yet we had people who have wells that are still tapping in to the same water. I and mean, if someone's got their own private source, that's one thing, but to the best of my knowledge, well tapping into more or less the general pool of water. And um, someone who's invested in a well, I don't discredit that. But when we're in a tier one or tier two, they can use that water to irrigate their lawn all day long and they're not paying a bill for it because they're already invested in a well. When we get into what we got last summer, which was Tier four and water was so precious um, that I, everyone should be locked down, whether you're tapping in via the, the town's water supply or tapping in via the well. And I also say, Candy, I think it makes it even easier for um, for Mo and this team, you're driving around town, all the water is off uh, if we're in a tier four lockdown. And, and you don't have to worry about the green lawn, is it a well or not? There's no water being used. It's, it's becoming such a tight resource. I don't want to see the time to flip to be an MRW or the MWRA. Uh, we will go if we get to the point where we don't have enough water, we all get forced to go to that. And that's not a way I want to see my field go. We can get ahead of it. Yeah. 
All right. Um, anyway, I mean, I invited uh, Christian tonight because I thought it was important to hear from, you know, from them to understand uh, a different perspective, I guess, just, just to, uh, I mean, I have some questions. I know other people probably have questions, but um, that was helpful for me to hear, you know, the background on why you think this needs to be addressed now. But my question was, um, there's my understanding is about 170 like private wells, according to the Board of Health listing, they, you know, they, they issue permits to construct wells. And there's about 170 of them on their list. Maybe there's more that they don't have, I don't know. But, uh, and um, so, you know, that's a pretty sizable group. And I'm just curious, did you, was there any, public hearing or public meeting or some forum to talk about this and invite, reach out to people who would be affected by it. I think there was a lot of discussion last summer with people in this town getting concerned that there were, when we saw just how low the water bore, even the surrounding rivers, that water's dropping and yet there are people that are just using it because it's not costing them any. And, and it's not impacting physical impact, but it's it's not it, it just it, there was no there's no unless they draw drain from that so much that they draw they dry out their own section. Um, I just I, last summer there was a lot of discussion. We even heard it at the select board meetings that people were getting frustrated that that there were lawns that were green, there were people using water. When we as a town, as a community, were trying to conserve water. And as I said earlier, I, I, I'm not picking on anybody. People who have invested in wells, I appreciate that investment, whether it's eight, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. That investment comes back to them when you are allowed to draw water. They can water their lawn 24 7 if they so choose. I don't think there's anywhere in that field who can water bill who choose to do their water, to water their lawns 24 7. I mean, sprinkling liquid gold on it after a couple hours, after a couple days. So it's, it's, so I appreciate your, your, uh, Question, Steve, about uh, whether public I mean, I, I understand that last summer people were looking around seeing brown lawns and green lawns, and you know, there was a dialogue. On but I was just curious if if there was a, an attempt to reach out to people who would be affected by this um, and get their perspective. That's all. Um, I mean, I yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Are okay. um, any of these wells? Does everyone who has a well have access to town water? I mean, is there anybody who has a well because they they, they don't have access to water? So you yeah. can you can do you can do your little well, then you have the water coming in for showers for your water usage, and then you have your external. So the intent of this would strictly be for irrigation. We're not saying people can't use water within their four walls, but it's just the same rules that we have as citizens that I only have one water meter in my house. So whether I am running my washroom dryer or I'm running my sprinkler, that water rate is the same. One could argue that why am I paying a higher, the same rate for water that's going to my lawn when it's getting to go right into the ground. There's no filtration to it. Uh, but the way my field is, it's it's a one water. I mean, one water, basically one water meter. Uh, so if it's two, I think we change the dynamics on how people use water, but we don't. I think you know, I'm going to go ahead at 10. My lawn, I don't think it will ever come back. But <laughs> that nice, um, you know, green 
green laws in the neighborhood. I don't know if they have the well or not. But I just, if a person buys the house knowing that they have a well, they have this benefit of having a well, or if they spend the money they have a well, then I think, uh, although you'd love to say have to abide by the same rules as everybody else, I don't think it is right to just tell them they no longer have the right to something they invested in. And just, it's like the government is gonna tell you what to do. You have an investment in a house or a well, and now your rights are being taken away. And it's frustrating, I agree with you. And they shouldn't be, and they, and they shouldn't be doing that. But as I understand it, not all of the wells are impacting the aquifer that the general water is coming from. There are some wells out there that are just have their own source of water. So it's not infringing upon the water supply of the town. Now, yeah. I think that's what I've been told, but it just- Well, I actually, I, fast. I mean, on that point, I did do some research. I, I went down to the Board of Health and I got their list of wells, 170 wells. And you have the addresses, so I just, I overlaid the addresses with the zone zone two DEP approved okay. map, you know, that where the aquifer protection district is. Yeah. And like 47% of them are outside of that aquifer right, so protection district. Got, yeah, so you get almost half of the 170 yeah. that are not impacting the water at all. Right. So, you know, tell those people that you can't do it. I, I think that's a big ask, right. a big push. I, mean, I think we're going to get lawsuits. I think we're going to get lawsuits. Lawsuit. And then you look at what is that percent? 170. How many water bills do we send out? What percentage of the total is that? 3,900 residential units. 3,900. So, and, and half of this. So, you know, what's 80 on 3,900? Pretty small percentage. 5%. Less than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's the tail wagging the dog to a large extent. And, and that's why I get some. Reservation with this. And I do, it frustrates me as much as it frustrates you, but I just don't think we have the right to impose that on me. Somebody is telling the sir that the water they're tapping into is not impacting the rest of the community. Somebody can prove that. that great. And that's your, your little supply because you happen to buy a house over that. But I don't believe that to be the case. There's water that is pooling from a, from a, a larger supply that is giving it access. So and that's why that's where I'm sensitive to when it's dry, it's dry. And if we end up in WRA, I hope you remember this meeting where we don't have enough and we're now paying astronomical bills. That's not that's just not the way we want this to go. I mean, you know, one of my primitive understanding of how this sort of zone two, the DEP approved zone two works is that, you know, back in the, I think the late nineties or early two thousands, they had did a hydrological study to come up with, you know, they had hydrologists do it. They come up with this zone. And the, the definition is that if you have a public well located anywhere in that zone, and we have three of them, right? We have two on Charles and one down in the south, south, uh, southeast corner of the town. That if that if those wells pump continuously for six months without any precipitation, that that's the area that they would draw. Okay, so 
So if you don't, if you have a private well that's not within that area, if you have a private well that's not that's not within that area, like what due diligence have we done to say to that private well owner, you know, you're drawing from, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a tough argument to make. I mean, because they they have the facts on their side. They have a study that's been done. They have an area that's been defined, and their wells outside that area. So, I mean, that sounds to me like a lawsuit. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds like they have some rights that you know they could claim that the town. Don't forget, the town approved all these wells. They, <laughs> we get this. Yeah. When resources start to dry up, you have to start changing the rules. You yeah. can't just say, "Well, we agreed something in 1948." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 look, I, 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 I'm just concerned that we're rushing into this without studying it and and really understanding all the implications. Um, that it's it's um, you know, I know I talked with uh, I talked with Bill Harvey. I know I don't know you. You're here, Christian. What are your thoughts on how do we what are the implications of this to the DPW and the water? So, like, how do we deal with enforcing this and all that stuff? And with so, and I want to start with the, the Board of Water Interiors has not actually had any discussions on this. So, I'm, I'm talking to you as a member, but I'm not really representing this, the board's viewpoint. We haven't sort of arrived at a viewpoint or a debate point. But from, from my perspective here, I mean, first of all, I, I got frustrated when I saw the grandma too. I'm, I'm in the meetings and I'm, you know, people know I'm on the board. They're coming at me when I'm at my kids' concert. Or like, <laughs> but to be honest with you, I don't. I can't even give you a sense of whether half of the people who had green lawns actually are on town water and just didn't care if they got a 200 dollars lawn or three quarters of them are all of them on bills. I have no sense. I mean, how many of them are on? But I don't know if anyone actually checked. Sort of did the math on that, and and I think the math is a big question. You talk about 120 wells compared to, you know, closing in on 4,000 customers. Even if all 120 of those people are using a lot of water, relative to the volume of water that the town is pumping and is permitted to pump on an annual basis, I, I don't know that you're moving the needle. And I haven't done the math, but I think somebody has to do the math before you start going down the road of we're going to start imposing new restrictions on people. And I, I don't even know how to sort of evaluate the sort of the legal implications of the legal lawsuits. It certainly seems to me that there, there are enough lawyers in this town that if, if there's a path to wrong to be I'm not seeing a plan. <laughs> That's not to say a good plaintiff's lawyer couldn't invent No, is there a way can you give a perspective on how many residents were on town water and disregarded the rule? Is that even? Um, we we gave out um, probably probably gave out hundreds of warnings, and then went into you know a lot of people stop after that, and then we would move into the first wave of of signing people. I believe um, we had twenty six. Hundred dollar fines. Actually, eighteen of those twenty six were paid. But there's an enormous amount of water that's being used by certain individuals that will not pay the fine because they just want to save their lawn. And um, 
you know, the enforcement part of it is very difficult for us you know, going forward to or whatever, you know, we go out to do that. So people did pay a good portion of the fines, but uh, there is still a small handful that did not. But um, you know, I would say that, you know, give kudos to a lot of the residents in town that, you know, seeing the brown lawn was, was fantastic, even though, you know, we'd love to have everybody have a green lawn, but it was good to see, you know, them conserving water when we have these restrictions. It's very difficult. We spend a lot of time and effort with the, you know, the guys going out every morning. You know, it's it's overtime. It's, it's, it's three hours. Multiple guys going around. We still can't even get the whole town, um, you know, looked at. Yeah. And and trying to figure out, you know, taking that list of 170 private wells and trying to, you know, try to give, you know. Still want to spend the time of looking through 170 in the dark and everything else and trying to see who's water. So a lot of times we send letters out, just you know, give them the warnings, and then we get a nasty phone call back. Hey, I have a private well. You know, we don't have any mechanism that says, hey, you need to put a sign up that says you're a private well, or you know, we don't have any kind of bylaws that that state that to a fact. So I, I think it's it's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult process. I, I think you know I. I understand the conservation effort, and you know whether whether it comes from the same effort or not. I think I think, still think we need a little more time to kind of investigate, see, like I said, what the implications would be, and how we go about enforcing. Because if we just lay this on everybody, you know, the onus is on us to go out there and what do we do? Uh, how do we do it? I mean, would you have to put meters on their private wells? So we don't have any irrigation meters. So we have a 25% reduction in the sewer bills to accommodate people for watering, washing their cars, and don't go into the sewer. Yeah. But some people abuse that and they go over. So for us to get involved with irrigation wells, uh, irrigation meters would be most citizens down stay away from that. That's, that's another expense for us. Another and then um, you're regulating private property, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think I think we have, we definitely have to talk about enforcement um, and see how to go about it. I wish the state would you know be able to put these on on a lean type basis, but they won't do that. The yeah. NASDEP and EPA do not regulate private wells because of different issues that they come up with the lashback the litigation um they don't want to get involved but they put the onus on the towns and a lot of towns won't, won't go into that direction mm -hmm. all right um any other questions that people have of either bill or eileen or promote we probably won't vote on this tonight, but we'll vote on it at our next meeting. So we'll probably be to be heard on this. I mean, it's a tough issue. It's a it's a tough issue. That's I mean, I I, I appreciate you raising it as a concern. That you know, it well, conserving water is is important. I agree with that. And I did yeah. I mean, last summer you saw posting on the NASCAR website, you saw all sorts of articles. So it's again, it's like we tend to be a town that wants to get ahead of some of these problems. And that that is literally why I started talking about this last fall and heard more and more feedback from you know the, the frustration of you know, you know, I think both you and I had a conversation about you know, if no one's allowed to do it, 
this little right around town has lots of it doesn't have to worry about the my my little sign of like no one's doing it everyone's respecting water site when we have the lesser restrictions then there are no restrictions for people that have floods. they can do it as much as they want in box they're doing yeah um, and and that's when spending eight or ten thousand dollars becomes significant because I mean, my yard isn't that big i'm at a concert and probably six years back i ran my irrigation system i didn't know there was any discount by that um but and i went from a standard bill of maybe 160 dollars in water to 1350 i think was my water bill because i had an irrigation system running yeah so those who are not on on well and we have the ability to run it's it's at an expense right whereas those that are those people that have invested in well and the water is not restricted they can run all they want and that's that's great that's awesome and, and, and the other question I have is that we considered the impact of businesses in town. Well, I think, but didn't the state even regulate that last summer where if you were like their car wash or something that you needed to use certain water to, to generate your, your revenue, you were allowed to do it right? so that they gave the window for certain businesses to function as normal. Well. I think they also. What about a mantra? What about a mantra? What about a. a a business like Montrose. So you say just I mean their fields they may need to do, but they don't need to do all their properties. Um, I don't. Well, their fields. They, they use well to use for irrigation or they use uh, uh, Yeah, I'm not sure about, but then we did have a discussion with them that they they would be subject to our property. Because I thought that was part of the judgment. So somebody like potentially somebody like the, the, the Browns of Trinity, if they were to do well, we get the same restrictions as we have. Yeah. I think to your to the point that, that uh, you know I, I'm concerned about that you know, making 170 examples of an unenforceable piece. I mean, to know to your point, if you say how do you distinguish between the the, uh, the person who has a private well and they don't, and they're one to, you know, people who just kind of a scoff law. It looks like the majority of people who were on town water and, you know, water they long. I mean, it's an emotional issue, but clearly, and it came up last year very much. And I'm always in everybody's conversation like that now, he's green and I'm not. And frankly, I saved a lot of money last year. <laughs> I, was pretty thin. I thought it was great, but I think it's very difficult from personally just to, not to vote, but to say the kind of the kind of legislating morality here. And I think that that's a tough one to do. And process matters to me too. I, I just feel like we're, we haven't gone through, you know, a process to engage, you know, the community on this, at least the, certainly the 170 people. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, you know elevating that conversation to your point, I think yeah. it's very important. Yeah. You know, and, to, yeah. and maybe to build some consensus. And when we talked earlier, when we had the school meeting about transparency and getting consensus, I think this is one that, you know, one year for 170 wells, yeah. probably it might be time well spent. I was actually opposed to that when I heard you say tonight, it's not a no, it's Let's take no, I think it's great to bring it forward. Yeah, you know, bring the issue, and I think it is an issue, and I think yeah. it's and I think it's a big issue to come to the town. And you, as a select board member, you probably hear every day. In, in addition to what Christian here said, Chris, you had a question. I, I'm just curious to what I've been listening that you got more to help 
Is there any indication on your list of whether they're actually used or not? Like, for example, we have a we have a well in our property. Then I'll answer it quickly. There is no, and there is no. I mean, it's it's a list that's been maintained. Um, a lot of wells are like. You can tell there's like a lot on Causeway Street, like up on the far and not down by the river there, but up on the far end. There's a lot on the granite, you know, um, high. I mean, they're all over town, but they, there's some indication of whether they're irrigation or not. But I think a lot of them, some of these could be very old wells too. Yeah, so we, and whether they're they're in use, I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's the only list that I found. As far as we have one, it's very old. We don't use it, but we'll probably on that list. What's your address? Seven First Street. First I'm just street. curious for that. I don't actually. I don't see it on here. Maybe you didn't get a permit. Yeah, that was the other thing. Like, you maybe there should be a good date. You know. Kind of language that can say forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're. Yeah. Sorry, Mo. No, that's okay. Um, I think, you know, over 90% of the people here have access to water, residents in the town. So I think most of the well, private wells do have access to public water as well. But um, Christian just uh, called me out here. And uh, we do have a, uh, in our water regulations, we do have um, a regulation about putting signage out for private funds. So we just have to get that education fire that out there as well to get people to do it and not have people falsely put up sign on. Oh, well, so there's a, there's a comment here. Um, Teresa, I don't know who Teresa is, but just Teresa. Um, all of the wells drop in the same aquifers are water sources for the town water. This is the type of education needed when we are talking about water restrictions that the state puts in place so that people can make educated decisions, not speculate about water sources. I think that's a common man question. Yeah. Okay. Um, as just on that, I mean, I would say, if this goes to the town, we go to the town, um, you know, in a direct democracy environment, no protection at all for the two and a half percent or five percent residents that are affected until they're protected. Uh, so this is their property will be limited about. I think that the burden, therefore, should be on the proposers to indicate the volume of water that's at play here in any way, shape, or form to estimate that. And how that impacts us both in short term and in long term. I mean, I, I just I think everybody seems to be turning it the other way around. It's on the burden to the well owners to verify somehow they're not in danger and my ability to class I don't think it's fair. I think it's the other way. Especially when you're proposing something in which the majority of towns and residents can take the value of something to so like unless. In the next week, um, you know, hydrologists, I mean, somebody can do a back envelope estimate. Well, what it's going to do to the flow of water to Dover uh, Station uh, when all 120 wells are on and pumping water in July at three o'clock in the afternoon. I, I, just, uh, I, I don't have any quantitative basis to make decisions. So it becomes an emotional basis. 
that that's a, not a good look at the of democracy for like a zone. Well said. So the disagreeing. Um, maybe this is caused by the fact I spent about 10 years now full time, but part time down in Haiti and developed an incredible sense of water as a resource, which is precious, and there's not enough of it. Right now, there is enough of it here in that field, but there are lots of parts of the world where there isn't enough of it. And um, I think taking action to preserve a limited resource like this uh, is an important thing to do. And I think, I don't, and boy, am I not a hydrologist, so the way I emphasize that point, but it just makes intuitive sense to me, and I'm ready to be proven wrong, that when you put a well down, you're drilling from the aquifer, that the town wells are pumping water on iron. There may be some of the 170 that aren't drilling from that source, but a bunch of them are, and they're depleting a scarce resource. And how much, how scarce is it? Do we know? Well, last summer it was scarce enough that we got an order. Not to see. We got an order. So let, you know what? I'm sorry. Was it, last summer we got an order based on the state designation. Yeah, this is important. It wasn't explicitly based on some measurement of our offer. So it was the state said there's a drought in this region. Everybody get on board. You've all got permits. You all have to follow this guidance. Full stop. It didn't matter what the Charles River gauge was. It didn't matter what our aquifer looked like. It, it probably was one. I think aquifers all over the state were probably both during a severe drought. But it, let's not sort of confuse what we had to do last summer, which was based on state designation, with what's actually happening within our aquifer. And intuitively, if somebody's pulling water out of the ground, you're right. They're pulling water out of the ground, so less water there after they pull it out than it was before. But the rate at which it recharges and the actual volume of water that they're pulling out relative to the volume of water being taken by the town, I think the question that I have is, are you making a difference? Is this the right way to, to conserve more water? Or is this such a small piece that you're, you're doing a very emotional argument that's not actually going to accomplish anything meaningful? Um, don't let the emotion get in the way. I, I said sort of when I first made comments, let's do some math. I think if the math proves that there's value here, then it should be brought forward. And you're right that the 120 people need to be protected from the other 11,000. But <laughs> if, if it's going to make a difference, then a conversation needs to be had. But I think somebody's got to do some math and show that it's going to make a difference. What do people think? Should we um, should we think about this one? Or, or, okay, all right. So we'll we'll vote on this ne next meeting. Then. Um, and um, appreciate everybody coming and talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dialogue. That was good. It's good. Um, so uh, and thank you, Christian, for coming. Um, all right. So I, the last agenda item is you guys, right? Town finance. Do you have any updates for us, sir? Do we have another comment? Okay, sorry. 
um, Teresa, to identify, oh, she's a, it's Teresa Prego, 41 Pleasant Street, and co-contributed to the Groundwater Protection Committee. So we're gonna see her next week, or in, in, on the 25th, with a degree, she has a degree in groundwater hydrology. We can discuss this as part of the groundwater discussion on the 25th. Good. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to hearing from Teresa. Thank you. All right. Um, and so do you have any updates for us? Did we get you everything you need to print the warrant? We have everything. We're okay. waiting for a few under review. Um, that should be here tomorrow. Other than that, we're, we're good to go to print. We have everything from you. You have the final budget housekeeping. Um, okay. You can write final on it. We will send it to you electronically. That is the final one. Circle to zero. Circle to zero. Congratulations. I know. Yeah, congratulations to the Warren Committee, the Select Board, um, and the Department Heads, schools, everybody for really sticking to the financial policy and really moving us forward um, and building up our reserves. Um, you know, I know we talked about it at our last meeting. I talked about it at the Select Board meeting. When we were discussing these in 2018, it seemed impossible that we would get to that point. And it feels like we are getting, you know, we're actually at that point of feeling comfortable that we're making headway and moving forward. Yeah. So just thank you to everybody for, for sticking with us on that. And um, I will get you the letter from, I think I, I, I wasn't, wasn't going to call you out that I was waiting for you. No, I will, I will get you the letter tonight That's fine. or first thing in the morning. Uh, I, nobody, I mean, most people got back to me, said it was, they were fine with it. I did get a couple of edits from Peter, but um, they were minor, <laughs> but uh, if it, you know, so I'll, I'll uh, I'm just going to delete the one article that got dropped. Yes. So just so everybody knows, I don't think we talked about no, it. We didn't talk about it. Uh, the school building bylaw. Uh, school building bylaw article, which is article 20, 20 I forget uh, the number. It was 29. 29. The selectmen voted to withdraw that article at 4:30 this afternoon. So that's why we didn't discuss it. So that will that will get go away. I think I think um well, I'll let you, if you want to make a com quick comment about it, or? Sure. Hey, uh, Chris has already heard that I probably was the instigator of the article, uh, and it was in response when we were appointing the school building committee, uh, happened to be Chris Potts had put her name in to, as an ex-officio non-voting member of the committee for communications. And when I saw that, I realized there was no provision in the current bylaw for anyone to appoint additional members like that. The provision in the current title uh, allows for additional ex officio non-voting members required by the MSBA should we rejoin the MSBA program be appointed by the Board of Selectmen. So what prompted the article to start with was the fact that there was no way to expand the membership at all. Uh, what on further reflection, recognizing that the situation that could arise in the coming year, which would be that we just readmitted to the MSBA program and would suddenly have to appoint people has been addressed in the existing bylaw. So that will get us through that. Uh, if down the road, the building committee said, says we need more people, we don't have a bylaw that can accommodate that. So perhaps it would make sense to look at this kind of an article when the need is clear. 
Uh, in the meantime, you don't have to be a member of a committee to help the committee. So if there was some pressing need that the, that the uh, building committee needed, they could still get somebody to just volunteer to help them without actually being admitted to the committee as a, as a member that wouldn't get the vote anyway. Uh, so yeah. given all that, just made sense full bylaw, and uh, we'll see how that plays out later on. We can, in fact, support an MSBA requirement to add ex officio non voting members as it stands right now. Okay, good. Thanks. Good. All right. Is there anything uh, that you, you want to update us on? I'm no, we've done that since our last one. I think that's it. Has anybody else got anything? We managed to go a little bit over, but we, we got through it all. We got a lot done. Thank you all for coming. Thank you very much. We don't usually get selected coming to our meetings, so we appreciate it. We didn't know you were such a thoughtful debater. <laughs> <laughs> Motion to adjourn. All right. Brent? Yes. 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 And Jill. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Good night.